0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. You want to get up, but there's something still holding you back. You want to get up and you want to use your gift, but you can't because there are scripts running through your mind of what your identity is, of what you've done of what was done to you, of who you're related to or who you know, and that shame keeps you from standing up. You know you have a gift. You want to use it, but those old lies and beliefs about who you are keeps you from getting out of your chair, and that's why we need to talk about shame today. That's why I'm going there, because we have to. We have to talk about it. So, what is shame? I loved this graphic because it describes shame very adequately. Shame is what we experience when people do to us the words that are in pink and purple, when they deride us, insult us, beat us down, sneer at us. And then our identity becomes those words that are in light blue. We feel hopeless, no good, bad, unlovable, worthless. Shame causes us to take on this identity that God didn't give us. God said, it is good. But then broken people, out of their brokenness, say and do hurtful things. We certainly can mess things up on our own, and then we end up carrying these chains of shame. We end up carrying them with us, sometimes all our lives, and sometimes we don't even know it. As I did this study, I recognized shame that I didn't even know I had. I realized where it came in, where those beliefs started, what behaviors. A couple weeks ago when I shared about calling and talents and burdens, Pastor Tom said his calling was to use his gifts, especially in prayer ministry, to see people set free. And that really made me think because I always thought that my calling was to help women feel like they're not alone in their struggles. And now God has branched me out. I'm speaking more to both men and women. But as I really thought about what he said, I realized my calling, everything I've been doing, is to overthrow shame. It's to overthrow shame. It's to help men and women get free from shame. Shame from their sin, that's why I share my testimony, and shame from their current struggles. I say it's current because it's not forever, it's temporary. That's why God can have me stand on the stage and say, I struggle with anxiety. That's humiliating, but it sets people free from shame, because they say, gosh, well, if she can stand up there and she struggles, well, if I struggle with this or that or this or that, then God can use me too. And I want y'all to know today, I look like I'm put together, but I do have on navy blue socks. I am not as put together as I look, navy blue socks with my black outfit. But God has called me to reveal my weaknesses because it helps overthrow shame. It helps people feel like I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I don't always like this calling, (laughs) but God uses it. So, turn with me to Isaiah 61, which is very familiar in this house because it's part of our identity. It's part of the ministry of Jesus and how we bring that to the church and to the world, to broken people. See, Jesus knew. Oh. Excuse me, did I just burp? <laughs> <That's a shame. laughs> My niece's told me to hold it together up here, and I know I just embarrassed them, and Lord, if my mother's watching, help her right now, because I know she's mortified. (laughs) Well, there you go. I think I'm blushing now. Isaiah 61, we're going to start with verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, this is about Jesus, and he later said this when he was alive. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, y'all quit laughing at me now, just quit laughing at me now. There's no shame. Pastor Tom says quit, tell him, (laughs) he says no shame, quit laughing, (laughs) because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to who? To prisoners. Jesus came to set us free from the chains, to proclaim liberty to captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. If you're mourning today, Jesus comes to comfort you, to grant all those who mourn in Zion a garland of ashes, giving them a garland instead of ashes, excuse me, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So Jesus came to dismantle shame, He touched the untouchable. He went to the sinners and the tax collectors. That's what we're going to learn about today. So I used very heavily this resource that's been recommended to me multiple times, and when I landed on the topic of shame, I finally broke down and ordered it and devoured it. It's called Shame Interrupted by Edward T. Welch, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. And on your handout, there are a lot of quotes, because I could put things in my words, but this man knows the nature of who God is in a way where I want you to experience his words and the way he knows God, because it liberated me. Just the way he phrased it, so you will see a lot of references from Edward T. Welch. First of all, what is shame? This is on your slide, excuse me, on your handout, yes, and on my slide. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you, and you feel exposed and humiliated, and and we're going to break those down, what those classes are. Some of you may have heard of Brene Brown. She had a famous TED Talk, and she's written a lot of books, and she is a shame researcher, and she talks about vulnerability. And when you think about what is the difference between guilt and shame, because we always wonder, okay, well, they're very similar. They go hand in hand. And I loved the way she said this. Guilt versus shame. Guilt is, I did something bad, okay? That's a good feeling. When you are convicted of doing something bad, it motivates you, hopefully, to go and apologize or make things right or not to do that again. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. Do you see the difference? Do you see how shame can keep you trapped from serving God? I had a funny moment with Holy Spirit one day in Trader Joe's. And it was a day, I could be really ditzy, like if it says push I pull, if it says open I shut it, I can't turn my thing on, I mean I, I can, it's just my life. And it's really fun for God and me, because we laugh at me all day long. But I was having a really off day in Trader Joe's, and it was one of those days where the, the machine says insert your chip and you slide it, and I just couldn't get anything right. And I'm standing there at the checkout, and I start to beat myself up. For for being so stupid. It just starts, I can't get it together, why can't I get it together, why can't, I, why, can't I, why can't I use a simple machine, why can't I remember her name, why can't I? And Holy Spirit said, just because you do stupid things does not mean that you are stupid. I was taking my actions on as my identity, just because I did stupid things and I had done some stupid things, but that does not mean I am stupid. And so we take our actions and that turns into our identity. When we fail, we become failures. If we lose, we become losers. So I want to talk first. Oh, help me, Jesus. I want to talk about me. And people look at me, and I've said this before, you know, they think I'm the sweet little church lady. And what does she know about shame? What could she know about shame? And now that I've read this book, I can identify more areas where I experience shame. So I'm going to start when I was little, let's see, okay, give me a minute. So I started picking up shame when I was in elementary school. And I've told this story before, it's hard to be funny when you're wearing a black cape. But the story was when they chose the kickball team, and we're out standing on the field, and the two people are standing there. Well, I want him, and I want her, and you know the stronger athletic people, they go first, and then the popular people get chosen next, and being the smallest and probably the weakest, I was last. So beginning then, I felt unwanted. Well, I was unliked because I was different. I was a nerd, I got bullied for making good grades, if you can believe that. I was different, I looked different, I was shaped differently, I acted differently. I was shamed because of who I was. And through the years, I added failure to that. I'll never forget, and, and I didn't even realize that I felt ashamed of this, but in high school, in 10th grade, I was on the leadership, the, senior, you know, the sophomore class council and I ran for junior class counsel, and I lost. That really hurt, because I had never really lost, and that's part of life, but I felt rejected. I felt like a failure. Well, soon after that, my behavior followed my feelings. I didn't find love among the girls, my friends. I didn't have friends, so I went looking for love in other places. I was a thief, I was a drunk, I was in that addiction of pornography, I looked at paper, I watched movies. And there's a word on here, it seemed like the nicest word to describe who I was, but it's reprobate. And that's a strong word. But I know the shame of what I did. And that's an appropriate word for who I was. I had inappropriate relationships with both men and women. I did whatever it took to find love, to find acceptance. And as a result, I became hated. I became hated. I was an outcast. Because who wants to associate with a girl like her? Who wants to be around her? I even, um, at that time, you were white people were just supposed to date white people, and I crossed the color lines, and I dated people of other races, and I was shamed for that. So it did get better because I found Jesus. All in all of those things and all of that identity, Jesus found me. But you know, we don't shake it all off overnight, and it was during those years when I came to know the love of Jesus, knowing how dirty I had been, that I carried the word of unworthy. And then I left my nuclear engineering job to take care of my children, and then I was just a housewife. I was shamed for that. I was told. You know, the reason that companies don't hire women is because we hire women like you, and then you quit to stay home with your children. I was shamed for that and even felt ashamed by my family because they had paid all that money for all that education, and I just quit. I was shamed. And then when you become a mother, you know, you're, you feel like you're a bad mother, don't you? Sometimes you feel like you're a bad mother, and I, re- I only shook that one a couple years ago. I remember telling Sarah Hauser about that. I thought my daughter would go to college and never come home. Bad mother. And then even in my 40s, there are other things I've carried. Never good enough. I've been a disappointment to people. And sometimes no matter how hard you try, no much no matter how much effort you make, you're never good enough. You feel like a disappointment. I felt like a defective Christian because the Bible says don't be anxious and I struggle with anxiety, so something was clearly wrong with me. And even here in this church body that I love so much, I have sometimes felt like a misfit because God has called me to share my weaknesses, and that has been difficult. I have felt like a m- misfit. But what I know is there are people with weaknesses that God wants me to speak to, and some of them are you, right? <laughs> so I speak publicly in other churches on Facebook, sharing my weaknesses with those people that God knows needs to hear that I struggle too. Shame. Now, as I shared those things, some of you thought, I felt that way, too. I did that, too. I was treated that way, too. So I want to talk about some different ways we experience shame. First it can be from what you've done, okay? We were all born in sin. We have all sinned, Romans 3, 23. We've all sinned. We've all made some mistakes. We've made mistakes that, you know, we've, we've messed things up when we didn't mean to. We were trying to do things right. We've messed up. Shame from what we've done. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you committed adultery. Maybe you had sex outside of God's design of marriage. Maybe you looked or look at pornography. Maybe you're cheating on your spouse in your heart, in your mind. You've failed. You've messed up. Maybe you've been arrested. Maybe you're in addiction. Shame can come from what you've done or are doing. Now, this was interesting. Shame can come. Here we go. From what you've done, from who or what you're associated with. So, think about if you have an uncle who's in jail. Does shame affect the family? Think about if you lived on the other side of the railroad tracks, maybe in the projects, maybe in a trailer park, maybe you were in a rundown farmhouse. Do you think if that were you, would you maybe feel a little bit of shame? People would look down on you. Maybe you don't have the education that people thought you should have. Can come from who or what you're associated with, your poverty, your income level, your education level, where you live, who you know. Like if I said um, my dad was, let me think, I don't wanna do anybody, Tim Tebow. We can all agree Tim Tebow is an honorable man who does good things. If I said my dad's Tim Tebow, Y'all would be like, wow, can I come and meet him? You know, there would be honor because of who I was associated with. But if I said, my dad's a murderer, how would you feel about me? You'd be like, oh, wow, my dad's not a murderer. He's, He's amazing. He's amazing. But from who or what you're associated with, that's not really anything you can even help. Couldn't help it. Now, what you've done, you have some choices there. But you can't help who or what you're associated with. Okay? And it can even be your race. The minor, whoever the minority race is in a group can feel shame or be shamed. And we all know about that because we have experienced it in the South especially. Shame can come from your struggles or your weaknesses, just like my own, boy, I have wept some tears of shame down here on the floor over anxiety. God and I have wrestled with that. I want y'all to know I'm doing really good today, having some really good days. Um, Praise the Lord, because I finally went to see a therapist. And I felt a lot of shame on the floor for going to see a therapist, because all of y'all have it together, and I'm down there seeing a therapist. I'm not the only one. But that therapist has given me just some simple tools and tricks, and I'm doing really well. I've been doing really well. Thank the Lord. And then the hard part is shame can come. I made a mistake, from what was done to you. Hopefully that's correct on your outline. Okay, so maybe you were neglected as a child. I just read a memoir about about a man whose mother was addicted to alcohol and drugs, and the shame he feels by how, by what was done to him. He was neglected. He was never taken care of. Maybe you were sexually abused. Maybe you were put up for adoption, maybe you were bullied for how you were different economically, intellectually, physically, mentally, any way that you were different. Maybe you were called fat or stupid or ugly or a lowlife or trailer trash, the black sheep. These are words that wound. And we can carry shame. I have struggled. Pastor Tom, you might not remember maybe seven years ago you gave a word of knowledge, someone who feels like the black sheep of the family. I walked right up there. Because I felt that way. The black sheep. Maybe your parents criticized you. Maybe your spouse left you. Cheated on you. Shame. Not your fault. Not anything you did. Maybe you were fired from your job. Shame comes in. It's going to get better. Hang with me. This is tough, but it's going to get better. Okay? I loved this, um, just this poem by Edward Welch. What is shamed? What is shame? You are shunned. Faces are turned away from you. They ignore you as if you didn't exist. You are naked. Faces are turned toward you, they stare at you as if you were hideous. You are worthless, and it's no secret. You are of little value to those whose opinions matter to you." Does that resonate with anybody at any time? We, we've all at some time felt that way, or we might feel that way. And shame is experienced horizontally, like with us and then vertically before God. And I did this Facebook poll because I like to find out, you know, am I on the right track with this? And I asked people, what do you experience before God? Is it confidence or is it shame? Most people are like, oh, expectation and joy, and oh, it's just so good, I can't wait, it's all good. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've missed it. I had one person who said unworthy. Only just maybe 5% said anything negative about how they feel before God. And I thought, oh, Lord, I've really missed you. I've missed you big time. I thought I heard from you. And then Mr. Welch says, we are blind to the fact that shame is primarily before God. He said, people won't admit it. They, they don't know it. We don't even know that our shame can interrupt our relationship with God. And I was like, okay, Lord, maybe I'm on the right track. And we want to feel all those good things when God has delivered us and healed us, but we're all on that journey. And for me, I think I can talk about shame because I'm maybe 95% over it, maybe. I don't know really what that 5% is, but I know I'm not all the way there yet. When I see Jesus, I'll be 100% free from shame. But I think I can talk about it and let y'all see my junk, because the love of God has broken through, and I've been set free from shame. Thank the Lord, and that's what I want to impart. I can impart to you what I have. And so, I can impart to you freedom from shame, because y'all think, God, well, if Lisa's done all that, and I, I, she's just as bad as me. God can use her. God can use me. Because shame, in the way I, I reached out to my speaking mentor, and I was like, I'm reading this book about shame. I think I'm supposed to preach about shame. She sent me a screenshot of the book she was reading about shame. And it said, shame prevents you from using your gifts. I was like, Lord, I am on the right track. prevents us from using our gifts, but it can also lead depression, eating disorders, addictions. It can lead to a lot of bad things. Suicide. We have to deal with shame. So, let's jump into the good news. Now that we all know what shame is... God, God, he covers, accepts, cleanses, clothes, and gives us value. We're going to learn today it's because of our association with him. Amen. He does those things for us. Now, what we're going to see about Jesus is he seeks out the shamed. He seeks out the marginalized, the forgotten, the neglected, the discarded. If you feel those things, or have ever felt them, or you've carried it from your childhood, Jesus is actively seeking you out. He's got a bullseye for you. He's not looking for the people that look like they've all got it together. He is looking for the hurting, the broken, the tax collectors, the sinners. So, we're going to look at three examples of God going after, moving towards the outcast. Um, Jump with me, turn to Genesis 16, and I'm going to just tell you the story and show you a verse. So you may remember the story of Abraham and Sarai, they couldn't have a child. The cultural rule said that Sarah could give her maid and have a child through her. So, Hagar was the Egyptian maid, Abraham lay with Hagar, Hagar conceived and had a child. Sarai was jealous, and they basically despised each other. Verse. So, what happened was Abraham said, Sarah, just do whatever you want with her, and Sarai sent her away. So, think for a minute about Hagar. She, she probably feels violated, I mean, to have had a child by a man, not her husband. She's a maid. She's been sent away with the child. She's been rejected. She's been shamed. She's been put aside because of a broken woman and her broken actions. Genesis 16, 7, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. He goes on, where where have you come from, where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing the presence of my mistress. He gives her some instructions, go back to your mistress, and then verse 10, he says, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. She says, You'll, okay, I may have got the order wrong. She's, he says, You are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her You are a God who sees. She was rejected. She was sent away. She was despised. Who came after her? God. He sent an angel. And that angel found her far off in the wilderness. And he blessed her. He blessed her. And she's like, You're the God who sees. You see me alone and broken and hurting. You see me. God sees you. If you were overlooked, he sees you. He sees you. On your handout, in the desert, she, referring to Hagar, learns that God cares for the marginalized, the oppressed, and the outcast. So, this is our first example of God going after one who feels shame. And Hagar, when you think about it, did she deserve God's attention? No, she didn't do anything to deserve it, but it was out of who God is. She was his creation. She was hurting. Of course he had to go to her. It was because of the character of God that he gave her worth, not because of who she was. It didn't matter even what she had done. So, what we're going to learn is that our shame is not associated with what we've done or what was done to us. It's viewed through the lens of who God is, and we're associated with that good man. He's our daddy. So, we don't deserve that one woman on Facebook who said she felt unworthy That's how we often feel. We don't deserve it, but God has made us worthy. He has made us his children. Mr. Welch says, the cure for shame will always be found in how we become connected to God. It's always through that lens of my daddy's not a murderer. My daddy is the creator of all. That is the association, no matter what your earthly experience has have, have been, that is the association that cures shame. That is it. That is the cure for shame. Turn with me to Isaiah 6, and this book, I, I highly recommend it. Part of my message, I only made it through half of the book. I mean, the book is filled with how God pursues those who feel marginalized and like an outcast. But I love the example in Isaiah 6. Now, just a little background. There were Levitical laws that described what was clean and what was unclean. Now, that's different than sin. You know, there's sinful there's holy, but there was clean and unclean. If you touched a dead thing, you became unclean. If you had leprosy, you were unclean. If you gave birth, if you're a woman who gave birth or was menstruating, you were considered unclean. And what you would have to do is go and make, give the, make the appropriate sacrifice to be restored into fellowship in God's holy house. I don't understand all of that, but it's the way it was, and there were, you know, rules about how you would wash and everything you would have to do. But when you hear what Isaiah says, I want you to know that that that's the background. So Isaiah 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Now catch that. He says, I saw the Lord. Okay. God had told Moses, nobody can see me and live. And here we have Isaiah. He says, I saw the Lord. He saw him. I "I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him. The seraphim called out to, to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke." (laughs) What does Isaiah say? "'Woe is me, for I am ruined.'" Then he says, "'For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. No man could see the Lord and live. He's like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm toast. I'm out of here because I'm unclean, and I live among people who are unclean. Unclean people experienced shame. They were sent outside the camp. The lepers were sent outside the camp. They were shamed, not because of what they had done, but just because of their health, even. And for us, we think, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. And we are all, none of us are purely clean and perfect, and in Christ we are. I was telling my nieces I did some road rage a few weeks ago, right? I did some serious road rage. I was not nice. And after about five, well, about 30 seconds of enjoying my road rage, I just heard, would Jesus act like this? (laughs) Um, no, I don't think so. But I was enjoying my road rage, because somebody did something bad to me, and I was giving it right back to them. We still mess up. We're still unclean. But I love what happens with Isaiah. He deserves death. Yeah. He saw the Lord. He was not clean. But look at uh, on verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his mouth. I'm sorry, <laughs> getting ahead of myself. In his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Yeah. Here you have this unclean man living among unclean people. He's ruined, he says. But God came near, God sent his representative to set Isaiah free from shame, to cleanse him. Who would think that God would come near the unclean? Why should God do that? He took the initiative. When Isaiah said, I'm, I'm unclean, just like when we say, Jesus, I need you, he comes. He comes in. God pursued Hagar in her shame. He pursues Isaiah. Mr. Welch says, oh, there's the verse. I already read that. You never expected that God himself would, by his representatives, come close to unclean people and touch them. God isn't afraid of your uncleanness. He's not afraid of your shame. He's not afraid of those lies you believe about yourself. And I love in verse 8, where when God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Well, after Isaiah was cleansed, he said, here am I, send me. Amen. He wasn't saying, woe is me. He's like, I'll go. He was set free from his shame. Lastly, let's just talk briefly about Jesus. And there's probably a whole message just talking about how Jesus sought out those who felt shame. To discard shame, we have to be connected to someone highly honored, like Tim Tebow, it's my daddy. Jesus is my Savior, my friend, my Lord, my master. He made me. We connect with someone highly honored. I've got a quote on your paper, I'm, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but I love that it says, Jesus understands nothings. If you have ever felt like nothing, Jesus sought out the nothings. If you've ever felt like a failure or a zero, that is who Jesus came to hang out with. He didn't come to hang out with people whose socks matched their outfit all the time. But he wanted the imperfect people, the people who couldn't get it together no matter how hard they, tri- they tried, those who tried and failed and could never even do it right. So, I want you to look at Mark two sixteen and 17. When the scribes who were, who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with these people, I'm one of those people, eating with these people. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus told them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you struggle with an area of shame, Jesus came for you. He's here for people like you the ones who struggle, the ones who try and mess up, the ones who pray, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'll never do that sin again and then do it again. That was me. God, if I'm not pregnant this time, I promise I'll never do that again. And I did it again. I made mistakes. (laughs) Y'all have prayed that prayer too. God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll be good. And then we just go right back to it. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't afraid to touch the untouchables. He touched the lepers. He accepted water from a Samaritan woman. He crossed the boundaries. You're not, when you touch a dead person by the law, the Levitical law, you're unclean. He raised dead people. The leper who said, if you're willing, make me, you know, make me clean, Jesus said, I'm willing, but then he touched him. He could have just said, be healed, but he touched the unclean. Now, there's a lot of, I haven't figured out yet, did, did he really become unclean himself? But according to the law, they would have said, the people around would have thought he is now unclean because of his actions. Jesus intentionally violated the boundaries of shame and in doing so according to the law he chose to defile himself as Edward Welch. He intentionally went there. He went there. He wanted to hang out with the dregs of Hebrew society, the untouchables. When we become connected to the king, we discard our shame because we're connected to him. Our daddy isn't the murderer anymore. Our daddy's the king of kings. He replaces all of those lies that we believe about ourselves. I know I'm really rushing, but I hope you get the gist of this, that the character of Jesus is to touch you in whatever shame you find yourself in today. Jesus' mission was to pursue those who were outside the camp. If you feel like nothing, Jesus is continuing his mission of crossing the boundary between clean and unclean, and he crosses it to reach you. Jesus is okay of getting his, with getting his hands dirty. If that's what it takes to help you move towards him, to move towards holiness and righteousness. I don't like getting my hands dirty, but Jesus is okay getting his hands dirty. He'll touch you in that area that you know about, that you don't, the area where you experience shame is the thing you don't want anybody to know, the thing you don't ever want to say on the stage, or even to one person. That's where you are still holding on to some shame. So for me, I was and still am being delivered from shame. This person, she does not exist anymore. She does not exist. I'll never forget, you know, we're a church that believes in deliverance ministry, and when my friend Debbie Davis cast the spirit of rejection after me, out of me, the following Sunday I worshiped with such abandon in my church, the pastor's wife grabbed my arm, drug me up on the stage, and she said, tell these people what happened to you. She didn't know, but she saw the fruit of freedom from shame. And if God can do this for me, if he can take my shame, it's been a process. It's not overnight. There's been a lot of prayer ministry, a lot of help. But if he can take my shame and give me that garment of praise, that garment of his love, that garment of confidence to stand in his presence, he can do it for you. I was as bad as they came, and he's transformed me, so there is hope for you. And I do just want to plug, before um, we—can someone help with the communion tables? Before I transition into communion, I want to plug this Hebrews Bible study, because what transformed my life was learning about how Jesus was human just like me. And it says he can help the ignorant and the misguided. He can have mercy on the ignorant and misguided, because he was a man. And as I came to know who Jesus was and what he was like, and that he paid for all of my sin, I walked out of that shame, and I ain't going back to it. I am not going back to that and you can walk out of that too. So what I want to ask you to do today, we're going to do communion just a little differently. You should have a sheet of paper in your bulletin. If you don't, rip that bulletin in, in half, find a sheet of paper, a little piece. If you have a pen, use a pen. If you don't have a pen, use your fingernail. I tried it. I want you to write down a name that you have carried, or that you're carrying. What is an area, what's the one thing you don't want to say from this stage today, or to even one person? I want you to write it down. Nobody has to see it. And then what we're going to do, I'm going to, when we do communion, I'm going to have ask the ministry team to come first. And then after the ministry team has had communion, I'd love for you to, um, to line up kind of in front of where Mark and Jamie are. And we're going to do communion, let's see which way is that, counterclockwise. We're going to come this way and go down both sides of the table but you have an opportunity to, to, to do two things if you want to. No, nobody's gonna look to see if you did this or not. So this is between you and God only. First of all, you can stop at a ministry team member and just say, I'm laying down, that I'm a failure. Now, when you confess that to somebody, it breaks the power of that lie over your life because all your life, the devil said you're a failure. And when you expose the lie, it breaks the power. Confess your It's not a sin. You could confess a sin, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, you'll be healed. But whatever that identity is, I did this, I felt this, I had this done to me. Tell it to somebody if you want to, you don't have to. And then come and just drop it, leave it with my shame. I'm not, nobody's going to look at it. I'm going to take it all home and throw it away. Leave it there at the foot of the cross and then come and receive the body of Jesus that was shed for your forgiveness and your healing and the blood of Jesus that was spilled for your forgiveness, for your healing. Okay. So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come first. And I'll stand over there, and you can tell me what you're laying down. And then after that, we're coming this way, going down both sides. And it's all optional. But please have communion whether you do the words or not.